Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Everyday Awakening. Having conversations about awakening is so powerful and valuable for so many different reasons. One, we don't feel so alone on the journey. Number two, we get to see what other people's experiences are of awakening. And the conversation that I have with my guest today, Sam, just really sheds light on what it is for men, especially to go through the awakening process, like what it is to be in your vulnerability. I think it's much easier in our culture for women to be in their vulnerability, although it's still challenging, than it is for men. And boy, do we need that divine masculine coming right along with the divine feminine in this awakening process. And I just think it's beautiful that my guest shares about it and that he has written a book called Everyday Awakening, um, which is really poignant. It's lots of different kind of concepts and perspectives on awakening in bite-sized kind of pieces where you really can like read a couple pages and have that instantaneous shift in perspective and go about your day. So Sam Leibowitz is with me. He's known as the conscious consultant. He's a facilitator, mentor, speaker, healer, serial entrepreneur, and author of the number one best-selling empowerment book, Everyday Awakening. He's been in business since 1993 and has owned several successful businesses. His current ventures include Talking Alternative Broadcasting and Double Diamond Wellness in Manhattan. Sam has lectured in several venues in New York City, including being a featured speaker at TEDx Upper West Side in 2016. So with no further ado, help me welcome Sam Leibowitz to the show. Sam, welcome to the show. We're happy you're with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate you having me on your show today. Yeah, and we were just talking before we jumped on here about your book, Everyday Awakening. And I think it's a great title because I think we are literally awakening every day, right? <laughs> step yes. by step. Um, and what I loved about it, it, you know, I read a lot of books, obviously. You probably do too, because you do lots of interviews. So so we read a lot of books and what was so cool about your book is that, you know, you could read it for sure front to back, but you can also use it like an Oracle, like you said, right. Or you could go and get a tidbit of information that's going to help you shift your perspective in that moment. And I really appreciated that about the book, but take us back to like, how did this come to be? You know, what were you feeling in your life? Like, is this something that was brewing for many years? Was it something that was a spontaneous idea? What was it for you? So this was my first book, but it really was, wasn't going to be my first book. It was going to be my second book. Um, and, and the material from this book 
actually comes from my blog, which I've been writing for over seven, eight years now. And so um, I kind of got the idea from Seth Godin, who who also I I, I read his blog every day, and he, he he created a book where he put all his different blog, not all, but you know the best of his blog together. And so originally I was going to take transcripts from my radio show I, I got them transcribed and i was going to work with a ghostwriter to kind of pull all that together make a story from it and kind of make that my body of work but then the person who i contracted with got in an accident and the person who was managing it couldn't get any of the stuff she had done so it was like a year had like just gone up in smoke and so then i was like i really i, I don't know it's just something i felt in 2020 i needed to come out with a book and so I thought, okay, well, let me take my second idea, which was to take the best of my blog. I hired a professional editor who's helped people, you know, get New York Times bestsellers and kind of sorted and 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 selected out the best of my blog. And so we had, I don't know, I had over 350 blog pieces, I think, at the time, and we whittled it down to 126. And I also felt that like by keeping them to an individual blog post, each section, so it's a page, page and a half, two pages at most, that they're short, easy to read sections, because in our busy life these days, you know, sometimes we don't have time. I know I don't have the time I used to, you know, back when I used to commute on the subway by like an hour each way, I could read a book on the subway going and coming back. But nowadays, I don't ride the subway for that long. Now I'm working from home, I don't have as much time. So I think a lot of other people are in the same boat. So this way, it's like, even you just have five minutes, you you randomly open it up to a page, read whatever it happens to be about and inevitably it's going to be an appropriate message for what you happen to be dealing with yeah and there was there were so many um you know topics that made you think differently right just in the heading of the topic and so one of them was our strongest moments are when we are most vulnerable can mm. you talk about like, because, you know, we don't think in society about vulnerability being a strength all the time, but maybe there's some personal things that you've, you know, noticed in your life or gone through that had you come to this wise statement. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff kind of just reflected where I was in the moment. I mean, typically I would just blog about what was going on in my life at the time. And yeah, it was kind of a lesson that came to me about how we feel like to be strong is when we're, we're, we're powerful, we don't show vulnerability, and we're invincible, and we're all this great stuff. But actually, I learned that when we're being the most vulnerable, that's where we're showing our true strengths. And that it, this kind of came about at a time when I was going through something very, very difficult. And you know, my dad was an old world kind of dad. You never knew what he was thinking or feeling. And, and, and you know, I kind of am not always the most diffusive person. And so I'm not really used to necessarily sharing my painful moments. But I found when I was doing some deep inner work that when I was in, in group and when I was able to share what was going on for me and, and where I was feeling uh, unworthy, where I was feeling not good enough, and 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 being able to do that in a community of trusted people who are also doing their work, like that vulnerability helped me to really move forward in a different way 
and then I realized like that strength, the, the, the strength of being willing to just share our deepest pain with other people, like that's true courage, that's true strength. Because it's easy in a way to like be stoic and cut ourselves off from our feelings. I mean, so much of society is all about cutting ourselves off from our true feelings. But to be honest, to be authentic, to really admit when our heart is broken, that takes real courage. Yeah, it's really powerful. And do you feel like for men, that's even a bigger challenge, like in our culture? Because I feel like we really, from the time, you know, men are little boys, like really instill this idea of like, keep this stiff upper lip or be tough. Or, I mean, I hear it, you know, I have a 10 year old son and I hear parents, you know, and people say things to boys that, that, you know, I grew up as a little girl, like they didn't say the same things to us. So I just wonder, you know, your experience with that, you know, being a man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, growing up in the Bronx in the sixties and seventies and eighties, it's like, you know, big boys don't cry. And and if you showed any vulnerability, the other kids, they were all over you. They were teasing you, making fun of you, ostracizing you. I mean, it's such a part of our culture. I mean, I do feel that parents today are better than our parents were when we were little children. So I do feel like the younger generation are much better at being in touch with their feelings. Again, depending on your particular family, depending on your 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 culture and where you are. But yeah, being a man, no, it's it's you know so much of the way we're programmed kind of goes back to our survival instincts to ancient ancient times and they're not actually actually appropriate anymore because yeah when you're a a hunter gatherer and you have to go and like uh hunt prey to to have food to eat and if there's a uh a a a big cat or or a bear or something like you can't afford to be emotional you have to be uh, uh cut yourself up from your feelings so that you can kill that bear before it kills you but we don't live that way anymore but our nervous system doesn't know it. Our nervous system still thinks we're living in the jungle. And, and any little thing can trigger us into a, a, a we our nervous system thinks it's, it's stress is a life or death situation, but it's not anymore. And so it's really learning to become more aware of our responses and reactions to, to highly charged things to help us to understand that, oh, like I don't have to, act like you know I'm, I'm at war i'm not at war even though my my body may feel like i'm at war i'm not and so it's bringing that greater understanding that greater awareness and it takes practice you know it's not the kind of thing that we just change overnight it's the kind of thing that we work at it and we become more aware and we catch ourselves and and we catch ourselves again and again and it takes time to really unprogram ourselves from that very ancient programming. Yes, it does. And and many times we don't have the awareness that you just shared that it is ancient programming, right? It's like in the moment, right. which brings up another point in the book that I loved, which is being triggered is always about us. Yes. And and the very like 
thing about being triggered is we so want to believe it's about somebody else, right? Like this person is doing this and they're making me crazy or they're making me mad and they're triggering me. They're doing it to me. So explain, you know, this awareness and this statement being triggered is always about us. Yeah, I mean, this is such a good one. And and being triggered actually is gold. Like that really shows us where our inner work is. But yeah, somebody else does something, or let's say somebody else calls us a name, right? Someone said to me, Sam, you're a Nazi. Would I get upset for someone calling me a Nazi? No, I'm Jewish. It's totally absurd. I'm not, there's nothing about me that's Nazi-like. So when something is so untrue, it just rolls off our back. We just laugh at it because it's silly. But if it doesn't roll off our back, if we start to get upset or something, then there's some kernel of truth in there. And it might not be the kernel of truth. It might be, a, it might be our fear. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be true, but it could be something we're afraid of. It could be something we're denying about ourselves. It could be something that, you know, we've been hurt and we've locked it away and we don't want to open up that Pandora's box. So whenever we are triggered, whenever we have an emotional reaction to something, it's not really about the other person. It's not about what they're doing or what they're saying. It's really about us. It's what about that is causing us to react in that way. And we, when we stop for a moment and take a breath and step back and try and get some perspective and just ask ourselves, why does this bother me? And really sit with it. And like, what feeling does that call up in me? And when have I felt that feeling before? Inevitably, it always tends to go back to something from our early childhood. There was something having to do with our parents or some experience we had when we were very young that, that traumatized us with a small t but still a trauma traumatized us in some way that then whenever anything touches upon that sore spot boom immediately there's that emotional reaction but you see there was something that you said there that that was also a key thing and it's another part in the book where you were like oh it's they're not they're doing somebody is doing something to us well, I'm sorry, but we're creators. We're very powerful beings. I don't believe happen, life happens to us. I'm a big believer that life happens for us. And that we as creators create the world around us. So if something happens, it's in our awareness. It's in our world because either there's something for it to teach us or it's because of our choices and our decisions that led us to that place and we've created it. And so as creators, nobody is doing anything to us. We're experiencing the life that we have created for ourselves. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I actually had an instance of this and I was talking to my husband about it last night where I was saying, it's so interesting at this point in my life where I sit in that truth of being a creator so firmly that like when something's going on in my world, instead of going, oh, why is this person doing that? Or why is this happening to me? I'm more curious, like, what am I supposed to learn from this? 
How do I shift this? What is, what am I gaining, you know, from, it's like, this has stepped onto my reality movie screen. Like, why did I create this for myself? And how do I get to the bottom of it? Which really changes the level of communication you have around this instead of going right to feeling triggered, right. And going right to like, the world is doing it to me. You, you do become more curious about, Oh, like, what is, what's in here for me? You know, so I was telling a friend of mine, I'm like, what am I supposed to learn from this? Like tell, you know, give me any insight that you can see that maybe I don't see right now that I'm supposed to be learning from this circumstance in my life. And we had a great conversation about it. And what I was saying to my husband is like, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago in my own life, like I wouldn't have been able to have that very conversation because the whole conversation would have been, you know, this is going on or that person did this or, you know, the drama, right, of life. Right. And and so we have these different conversations when we understand that we are a creator of our reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something I learned a long time ago is that our unconscious mind is always working. And the questions we ask ourselves are like feeding questions into the Google search engine. No matter what question we feed in there, it's always going to come up with an answer. And so I usually coach people into saying, like, don't ask the why questions, because why questions tend to not really give us good answers. Because if we say something like, why is this happening to me? Well, our brain will go through and it's like, oh, because you made this damn mistake and you did that wrong and this happened. And because you did that in third grade, this is why this is happening now. So why questions in general, not always, but in general, why questions, not so good questions to ask ourselves. How, what are much better questions? So like you said before, being curious about what is there for, for me to learn? How does this help me? You know, what can I do to really turn this situation into something that's enjoyable or fun or or educational for myself? So those kinds of questions, again, we feed our unconscious mind and they're very solution oriented. See, why questions tend not to be solution oriented? Why questions tend to go back to the past? But how and what questions can be very solution oriented. So then we get our mind working towards, well, where do we want to go with this? And so just being present to that really helps us. And, and someone once said, I forget who it was, that the quality of our life is determined by the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. And so it's all about learning to ask a better quality question of ourselves, regardless of what the situation looks like. So true. And I feel what you're saying about the why question taking you back. Like it feels like old energy versus a what question taking you forward or a how question taking right. you forward. That's really powerful. And you said there's something you talk about because, you know, when we get into talking about our triggers and we get into talking about some of these things, those can feel like heavier topics, right? Those are deeper kind of things that we, that we ask those what questions about and those how questions. Um, but you also talk about play in the book, which I thought was really beautiful and refreshing because I think when it comes into soul work and, you know, spirituality or personal development, there's a lot of, you know, the word shadow work comes up all the time and, you know, doing the deeper work and those things can bring up a lot of emotions and they can, you know, at times feel heavy and it can feel like a lot. I know as people move through different stuff. 
So what we don't talk about as much is play, right? And the role of play. And obviously that's important. So what's your viewpoint on play? So play is so, so, so important, you know, and I agree with you when we're doing this deep inner work, it can feel heavy at times, but I just remember this quote, someone once said that where there's laughter, there's God, where there's seriousness, there's ego. And sometimes we just take ourselves way too seriously. Now I'm not saying like there's not deep work to do, but play can be deep work as well. And when we bring a lightness of spirit to what we're doing, it makes everything easier. And yes, I mean, play is so important. It's how we learn. And we can always find a way to make something more playful. Even the most serious thing, we can be goofy. We can play around with it. And and just and I just you know it's so funny. I had this experience a few weeks ago. I was uh, we we were doing a small ceremony, and 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 a good friend of mine was there with me and my wife, and he was having a hard time, but we didn't know it, and he started acting like a complete goofball, and I was laughing so hard at him, and it was so funny because before he started acting out, I was having a little bit of a difficult time with something that came up for me. But then once he started acting out, I started laughing and we were joking around. Oh, my God, we were laughing so hard for like two or three hours. And it totally took me out of that weird headspace and brought me into a place of like joy and enlightenment and 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 just fun. And that was what I needed. I haven't laughed that hard in years, in years and we need that. Our soul needs that. Our heart needs that. Our body needs that. So yes, I mean, there is a place for doing deep work, but you know what? If, if we don't take ourselves so seriously, it doesn't have to feel as heavy. There's a place for sort of celebration that's right alongside with doing the deep work. Yes. And that reminds me of something else you talk about, which is balance, right? Because this would be balancing these energies in our life. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to have 100% play and never have a time of introspection. And you don't want to get caught in, I'm only going to be in deep introspection, and I'm not going to enjoy and play in life. Obviously, as children, children play so freely because it's such a natural like state of being, right? They don't, if you ask a child, do you want to play now or later? They're always going to say now, right? There is no later. There's just now and there's just playing. Um, and so you talk about balance and I thought it was a really big gift how you talk about it because you say balance happens over an entire life not a day or a week. And I think there's a lot of pressure, even, you know, again, in the world of spirituality or in the world of personal development to be in balance all the time. This idea of we're supposed to always be in balance at every moment. And, you know, and so what would that look like? You know, deep work one second, laughing the next, and then deep work and laughing. I mean, I don't know. You would toggle back and forth somehow. Um, but, but you are saying that it's really something that we that we do over our lifetime, that it's not that we have to fit everything into one day or a week. Right, because I mean, again, look at life, the way life naturally happens. Sometimes in our life, we gotta focus on our career, our business, on making money. 
Other times we're focusing on relationships. Other times we're focusing on friendships. Other times we're focusing on family. Other times we're focusing on health. We, we, we're never like, okay, one hour a day I'm focused on this, another hour a day I'm focused on that, another hour a day I'm focused on this. I mean, there's not enough hour in the days for all the different things. So, I mean, to me, we're, we're, we balance over a very broad spectrum. And actually, I like to think of balance more as harmony than balance, because balance is a little bit of a charged word. It's like, oh, I have to be perfectly balanced right here, right now. No, it's more about being in harmony and understanding when it's appropriate to go into certain area of life or not. Like when we're young and we're, we're looking for a partner and we're looking for someone to spend the rest of our life with, that's a time to be in our hearts and, and to focus on relationships, right? But if we're too busy focusing on business and work and finance, and that's all we're focused on, then we're up in our heads, we're not in our hearts, the likelihood of making a good connection with somebody is pretty small. Right. But then once we meet them and then we're focused on a career, but then then we have kids and then there's family. And so we need to focus on family for a while and raising the kids. It, it's, you know, life is made up of extremes, but those extremes balance each other out over time. And then, you know, something happens. Like I mentioned to you before the show, I, I got a bad sore throat a couple of weeks ago. So we we, we get uh, unwell and then it's like, okay, I got to focus on my health and wellness. So then we focus on our health. You know, we, and, and yeah, I mean, let, let's be human beings. You know, sometimes I feel like we're so busy trying to be perfect all the time and perfectly balanced and perfect this way and perfect that way. That, that we don't leave room to be a human being, to be an organic human being where things happen. You know, the old expression, like, you know, people plan and God laughs. It's like, <laughs> you know, we, we may plan to have like all these perfect things, but then life happens. And so the ultimate balance is learning how to flow with what's in your life in the moment and knowing that, you know, if one area of your life is being neglected right now that's okay because once things shift and change then you'll get to that area of your life we don't have to do it all right now all the time yeah it's so true and I think just listening to you talk here like I'm smiling to myself because you have the most amazing voice and the way that you articulate your message, it really comes through through this great voice. And so I say to myself, as I'm listening to you, of course, he has an amazing radio show. And of course, you know, this is a medium that feels powerful for you. How did that begin for you? You've got an incredible show um, and a network. Where did, where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, yeah, people ask me all the time, how did I get into this? Did I go to school for broadcasting? Not none of it. It was all in a, a, an example of just saying yes to life. I was at a party in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan, and a good friend of mine brings this guy to the party and says, Sam, you got to talk to my friend. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know why. And so we're talking a little bit, and I was like, so what do you do, right? You meet a stranger, what's your first question? What do you do? She goes, oh, I'm an acupuncturist. And I go, oh, that's kind of cool. I know a lot of different practitioners, not too many acupuncturists. But in his next breath, he goes, but I've decided to become a Buddhist monk, and I'm selling off all my worldly possessions. I'm like, whoa, that's kind of different. I was like, well, did you sell your business yet? And he goes, no, not yet. And I go, well, I network a lot. I know a lot of people. Maybe I can help you sell your business. He goes, oh, that would be good. It'd be really good karma for you, helping someone to go into the monkhood. We're 
talking a little bit more. And he says, oh yeah, and I started this internet radio station last year. I'm like, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Acupuncturist radio station. I was like, what's your name again? And he says, Giorgio Repetti. And I'm like, ah, I know who you are because my friend Larry does a radio show on your network and he's told me about you, but he's never put the two of us together. Now there he is standing in front of me. So a week later, I meet him in the office. And again, I'm just thinking I'll help him to sell his business. He's going through the, because I'm not an acupuncturist. I don't know anything about acupuncture. He's going through all the stuff about the acupuncture business stuff. And then he starts talking about the internet radio station. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool because I was on the speech and debate team in college. I joined Toastmasters. I've been doing public speaking most of my life. And my degree is in computer science. I'm a, I'm a tech guy. So this is like bringing the, those two aspects together. And so after this long two and a half hour meeting, I kind of jokingly say to him, geez, this is such a great deal. It's like getting two businesses for the price of one. If, if, if I can't find anyone to buy your business, I'll just buy it myself. We both kind of laugh at it. And I go home that night. And when my wife comes home, I talk to her about the meeting and everything. And she looks at me stone cold face. So forget helping him to sell his business. I'm like, really? And I was kind of crestfallen because I thought he's a nice guy, can make some money, help him sell his business. She's like, yeah, she goes, we may not have much money, but we may as well put what money we have into a business that's actually making money. Let's just buy it ourselves. Oh, oh, yeah, what a great idea. Let's do that. And that was like the same thing I'd been joking to him about just a few hours before. So we just said, yes, we, we bought his business, both sides, took his acupuncture practice, brought in an acupuncturist. My wife's a psychotherapist. I do energy medicine. I brought in a bunch of other practitioners, made it a more generalized wellness center, double diamond wellness. And that was 12 and a half years ago. And things kind of shift and change over time. And then I really focused on the radio station. It was known as Talking Alternative at the time. Now we call it talkradio.nyc. And I really fell in love with it because so much of my life I had spent looking for my tribe, looking for people who would honor me, not take advantage of me, would listen to me. And the thing is, I was always looking for them. And so I always looking for it in the wrong places. But once I took over the network and I started doing my own show, I found that when I shared my own voice and I shared it authentically, my tribe found me. And so that to me is like one of the most powerful things about doing your own online show, whether it's a podcast, a, a, a video show, a TV show, a radio show, by sharing yourself and sharing your voice authentically, the people who resonate with your message and resonate with you will naturally find you. Yeah, so beautiful. What a great story. And it's so great that you had the idea and your wife had the idea. And you guys went for that. I think that's amazing. Like, you know, that's the, that's the spice of life. That's the play. That's the, you know what, let's do this. This feels, and I always say that, because, you know, I talk a lot about soul mission and I do a lot of soul mission work. And I always say that if we look at the history of our life, all the things that we've done, even if they seem disjointed or random, that when we come into our soul mission work, we can look back and say, like you, I've been on the debate team. I've you know done public speaking my whole life and I love technology and I've been in the tech sector. Like what brings all that together? That our soul mission work is basically little known to us. We've been walking through life, gathering, you know, on each step stone, all the tools that we need, even though they we don't know how they all go together until that moment comes and you have that opportunity. And you said yes, which is so beautiful. 
Right. It's just saying yes to life. I mean, that's kind of one of my superpowers. I was never the kind of guy who had the five-year plan. And by this point in my life, I was going to be here. And by that point, I was going to be there. It was all kind of organically. I just kind of said yes to what was showing up in my life in that moment. I love that. Well, share with everybody where they can find out more about your work, your book, um, the radio station. Sure. So there are two websites that people can look at. Um, for my personal brand of The Conscious Consultant, the website is just www.theconsciousconsultant.com. And you can find links to my podcast there and to the services that I offer. And then for the radio station that I run, it it's uh, very simple. It's also www.talkradio.nyc. And I do my show live there every Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time uh, to 1 p.m. every Thursday. And we have a host of other shows on all kinds of different topics. And I also help people to develop their own show. I coach people for like how to get the most out of doing an online show. So um, yeah, people can find me there. And if you want to email me, you can email me at sam at talkradio.nyc. Beautiful. Thank you for joining us, Sam. This was great and enlightening and I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you so much, Shonda. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share my message with your audience. Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at The Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings. Mm -hmm.